when Deanne mentioned gift wrapping, reminded me of, by trade, actually, in another many, many years ago, I was uh, an, a journeyman meat cutter. And we did a lot of game meat this time of year, so we would pull stuff off the roll and we would wrap it up, tuck the corners, wrap and slap a piece of tape on it, write something on it, move on to the next. My kids one day, <laughs> my daughter looks at this and she says, Dad, is this a roast? <laughs> I had wrapped her gift up like I did a piece of meat. <laughs> this folding the corners and taping and all that, that's beyond my pay grade. But give me a roll of butcher paper and I can keep up with the best of them, so. I hope she didn't hear this, so. Wow. You know, Megan, that was wonderful. Uh, And I hope you always feel the freedom to express Jesus in this tribe. It's wonderful. When, when she started saying yes to Jesus, that whole idea, today we're going to talk about something that we really need to get our head and heart around because it's going to help us make our yes to Jesus really mean something. Amen? So I want to start by talking about discipling. Last week, I, I felt a need to just dip into talk about tithe and offering and how the old and the new covenant, <clears throat> Jesus changed things. Tithing, you're not going to find the concept of giving a percentage in the New Testament. It's just not there. You're not going to find it. But the principle of tithing is something that God sent spinning into the stars, and it works. Those of you that have tested God and have tried it, how many, how many say yes to that? Yeah. It, it just works. But we're not under a command to give a percentage. If anything, Jesus raised the bar, and because of what he done has done for us on the cross, we should live generous lives towards others. And it's not just your finances. It has to do with your resources, your time. That's probably the new commodity today is time. And for some, it's easy to write a check and hand it and say, see ya. But for others to stop everything and to give time, that's huge. But we have a lot of resources. Some of you have gifts, you have abilities, you have gifts that you, uh, you can use to just bless others with, skill sets. These are all ways that we can be generous and give away and to help others. Amen? Amen. Just saying. I want to talk this morning about discipleship. I want to continue on that journey for a little longer. And I want to tell you something right out of the gate. There is discipling going on all around us, whether you want to talk about it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you want to see it or not. It's happening. If you were to watch the NEWS news, you'll see that there's a whole generation that have been discipled and brainwashed by universities around the country. I don't know how else to say it, but they have been. And, and they're, they're so misguided, but point is, somebody discipled them with that line of thinking. And to think that we can send our kids to an institution and not have something come back different, you need to wake up. That doesn't mean that they can't go into a university and, and thrive, but they need to know who they are when they go in. I'm so excited that our youth is up in Glendale today, up in the Azalea Glen area. I'm so excited for that because my heart is that they're going to be discipled and discipled well. They're going to know who they are, they're going to know whose they are, and they're going to be able to navigate this world in a powerful way. That's our hope. I think Jesus' last command, and today I want to talk about disciple-making elements. In, in my journey of a couple years, there has been, and I have seen, essentials that I feel are part of the process of discipling others. And I want to talk about those really briefly this morning. Then I want to go to that famous scripture, Matthew 28. And I want to drill down on that because I think there's something in there that we've been missing. And when we see it, we get our head and heart around it. I believe it's going to open us up to a deeper yes to God. Okay? Let's move. I wrote here, Jesus' last command is one of the most important expressions of love that you could show another human being. And that is, Go. That is to go and to make disciples. I, in my opinion, because of how I'm wired, I love to equip. 
I believe I am a discipler. We used to have a discipleship training center. I think it's one of the most important things that we could be doing. And I think discipleship making in, in its purest form is to help a person you come alongside of, help them place their faith in Jesus, and then help them form their life around Jesus, becoming like him in image. That is the job of a discipler. I think discipleship making, I wrote here, includes both sanctification and maturation. Sanctification is, in its most basic sense, is, is to set something apart for God's special use and purposes. Many of you are here today sitting in these seats because you realize that God came to you and God set you aside for a purpose. How many know that? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. I wrote here, sanctification demonstrates the urgency to be emptied out of anything that impairs us from being a useful vessel for God's glory. That's what sanctification does. It sets us aside, and God begins to rototill and go deep into our hearts. He goes down the corridor of our hearts. He's knocking on doors. He's stretching us. He's molding us. He's shaping us to fit His image. How many know the, the pain of that? It's not easy. It can be quite painful, but it's the journey that we're on. <clears throat> Maturation is simply just the process of maturing in Christ. There are so many scriptures that point to maturing in Christ so that we're no longer carried around by waves and winds of doctrine. We're, we're solid. We're mature. We know that we know that we know what we know will keep us until that day. Amen? Hebrews 6.1. You may turn there if you want. I love this. It's, it has to do with maturation, maturing. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and of a faith in God. Wow. It, it's frustrating over the years. I've watched people start this process of being discipled and somewhere in the journey, there's something missing in their footings and their foundations. And when the winds of adversity blow and a hard thing happens, they fall apart or they disappear. How many, how many know someone like that? Yeah, I think all of us do. So here are four essentials that I want to quickly drill down on. And these are things that I have picked up over the years. This is not all-inclusive. This isn't the end-all, but it happens to be some things that I love to focus on. And number one is the Word of God. Number two, the people of God. Number three, the Spirit of God. And number four, the mission of Jesus. And you have to have a healthy mix of all four. And if you can do this with people that you are leaning into and you're saying, follow me as I follow Jesus... If you can mix and introduce all four of these elements into their life in some way, shape, or form, I think they will become pretty healthy in Christ and mature well. So let's start with, I want to expound on these four essentials really quickly, and then I really want to lean into something here at the end. So let's start with the Word of God, Scripture. Scripture is vitally important. How many will agree with that? How important the Word, it is the very footing, it is the very foundation but we cannot objectively, I wrote, know the truths we need to know about God and how, we're, how we are to obey Him apart from the Scriptures. We cannot. Otherwise, we're just winging it. We're running on opinions. We're running on stories or half-grown theories and stuff that may sound good, but really don't hold water in the end. But I'll tell you, today, there's a lot of churches that focus on this part only. They're so word-driven that they miss the author. They're so into the Word. They know the Word through and through. And I've met these people that can really expound on the Word of God. But in the process, their life is just really, their character, everything is just like running on half empty. It's because they haven't really met the author. There is a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And there's a healthy mix in the middle. How many of you have ever heard this expression, all Word, no Spirit, we dry up, all spirit and no word, we blow up, but both word and spirit, we grow up. Who said that? Does anybody know who said that? This is really kind of a sidebar, thank you, Ernie, but this is something really 
interesting to me. Who wrote that famous quote? Now, for a while, I, I thought maybe Mario Murillo. Sounds like something he would say, but nope, wasn't Mario. This is so good. What'd you say? Oh, you're so close. No, it was a guy named David Watson. David Watson was ordained a, 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 a priest in 1960 in the Church of England. He was ordained a priest. He championed, and he was a champion, incredible champion, for the charismatic evangelicalism that was happening at that time within the Church of England. He was the man. He was the one that led that forward. Here's where it gets really interesting. He met John Wimber in 1980, and he was the first one really, the first people group to invite John Wimber to the UK. I, I just think that's very, very interesting, but he's the one that quoted that. So let's move on. Number two, the people of God. And this is why I wrote, relationships are essential in discipleship making. When you think of Jesus's method of discipling, above all, he was relational, right? We don't, we don't see it really recorded, but we do know that when he went from town to town, we would read what happened in that town, but the journey between towns, it, not a lot of it's written in there. But we do know that he was walking, he was talking, and he was experiencing life with his disciples. It was like natural. I, I was part of pastor coaching a few years back, and it was a wonderful time of just meeting with other pastors online and, and, and just getting their thoughts and ideas. And they, they lined up some millennials one day, and they just said, what does discipleship mean to you? And I could tell a lot of these pastors, you could see in their mind, they first answered the question, well, it's a program. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a this, it's a that. So they turned to the millennials and said, what is discipleship to you? And it was time spent life on life. One of the young men said, I didn't know how to shave. My father never taught me. I, I needed someone to teach me how to shave. Another young lady, I'd like to learn how to sew. I, you hear what I'm saying? Life skills. That's what they wanted. And that's where they needed to be met at. But in the process, you can introduce the ways of Jesus to them. I could see Jesus sitting down as a carpenter Walk there, hey, Jesus, how did you do that one mortise that did all this thing in the wood? And, and I could see Jesus explaining that. Couldn't you? Can you? I can. So relationship is vitally important when it comes to discipling others. Vitally important. Get involved in their lives. There was an era, it was so different then, when my wife and I first came into the kingdom and all this stuff going on, where we, it was so spontaneous. You guys probably remember that. Bob and Barb, where you just showed up at someone's house for dinner. You brought something with you. It, it was just so spontaneous. It was exciting and it was fun. We need to be and lean back more into that instead of having our gates and our fences. We need to open the gate and be more welcoming and bringing people in. So like Jesus, we must engage in meaningful relationships with those we're discipling so that we can relate to them, we can love them, we can teach them Scripture, and we can help them obey the Scriptures and follow Jesus in many practical ways. Why do we make this so complicated? When Jesus was so practical, when you read the Word, He was so practical. But I'm telling you, relationships and Scripture are simply not enough. If we're going to talk about people truly walking in and becoming what God's calling them to be, just relationships, knowing people, having friends, and knowing some scripture is not enough. We need more. And that's where we need the Spirit of God. You and I and everyone around us, we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit I wrote here is the ultimate agent of transformation in people's lives. It is the ultimate agent of transformation even in the discipling process. The Scripture teaches us that it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who goes and convicts people of their sins. You don't have to beat people up. You're a sinner. Stop it. Stop it. Let the Holy Spirit do that. I wrote here, too, that not only does the Holy Spirit convict a person of sin, but the Holy Spirit draws that person 
to a place in their heart where they sit down and they begin to invite that loving Jesus into their hearts and place their heart in his hands. That's what the Holy Spirit does. John 16, Jesus, and I'm going to read this out of the message. I love this. But he talks about the friend that will come. I didn't, I didn't tell you this earlier because I was with you every day, Jesus said. But now I'm on my way to the one who sent me. Not one of you has asked, where are you going? Instead, the longer I've talked, the sadder you've become. They didn't really understand what was going on, and they didn't until much later. But they followed. So let me say it again, this truth. It is better for you that I leave. If I don't leave, the friend won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who is Jesus referencing? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He, he, paraphrase. He's just basically, hey, guys, I got to go. And I'm going to send the one who's going to help you. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to be your paraclete. He's, he's a fight for you. He's your counselor. He is there. Always. But I got to go. But when he comes, Jesus says, he will expose this is what the Holy Spirit does. He will expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, of righteousness and judgment. He will show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin. That righteousness comes from above where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control. That judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. So Jesus, this is all planned. Jesus says, I got to go, but I'm not going to abandon you. This whole orphan spirit thing, come on. The Holy Spirit, invite him in because he's there to be with you. He's there to walk with you. He's there to talk with you. He's there to console you. And the list goes on and on. Jesus sent him for us. And then I wrote, and then God tells us that the power that brings change in discipling relationships is the Holy Spirit. Again, because it's the Holy Spirit who trans transforms us from one degree into another, and we become more and more and more like Jesus as we continue down that road. Second Corinthians, turn there real quick if you want. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, now the, now the Lord is the Spirit. This is out of the NIV. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. freedom. Right? Freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's like when we open up the word and we gaze into it intently like James says, we see, true. I'm paraphrasing, we truly see a reflection of who we are. And if we continue to dwell into his word and focus on him with the Holy Spirit speaking through our hearts, there is something spectacular, amazing, over the top that happens in that moment. We are now being transformed. I don't know how it works. But somehow this glory of God is transferred to us and back and forth, and we become more and more like Jesus. When I, when I meet people that I haven't seen in a few years, and I know and I hear great stories that they've been growing in Jesus, and I see them again, there's something different about their countenance, right? You ever notice that? It's the increasing of Jesus in their lives, which makes you ponder for a moment. If you're at work in the circle that you run in, are you actually reflecting Jesus, or are you reflecting, reflecting yourself? I'm not trying to meddle, but I will for a moment. Do they see Jesus in you? And as time goes on, are they seeing more of Jesus in you? Only you can answer that. But again, let's go back. But if all we have is the Word of God, if all we have is some relationships with people, the people of God, and all we have is the Spirit of God, which is a lot, there's still something missing to this, 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 this healthy, healthy uh, plan of God's to develop us strong and to make us mighty, and that is the mission of Jesus. We can get so excited. We can learn the Word. We can have great friends, 
We can have the Holy Spirit, but yet we can come to church, sit, and walk away and never really do anything with this. Jesus has a mission. The mission of Jesus, I wrote, is the intentionality factor that grounds discipling relationships with purpose, with forethought, and with strategies. Intentionality. That's not a new word. Jesus was very intentional. Every, every, every disciple and every potential disciple, I believe, needs someone to guide them, someone to disciple them into a healthy place. It's, it's, it's the wash, rinse, and repeat. Jesus wanted us to be able to disciple others who could disciple others who could disciple others, and this has been going on for thousands of years. How well are you doing at it? Just asking. I wrote here, they need someone who knows what Jesus meant when he told us that it is up to us to go and to make disciples. So intentionality is, perso- uh, is uh, purposive. It, it is calculated. It, it, it's to know where we're guiding someone to. Do you know how to disciple someone? Do you know how to take them from this place to this place? Well, I hope on this journey we can learn to do this really well. How many would like to learn how to articulate word and truth and be able to lead people forward into a healthier place where they in turn become so good at what they're doing, they in in return do the same thing over and over? I I, want to be part of that. And and I'll be the first one to admit, in the past, I I saw some discipleship schools and trainings where it was about following someone. We're not following a person. We're following Jesus. Now, we will follow people who are healthy. Even Paul said, come follow me as I follow Jesus. Huge responsibility. But this valley, this valley that we live in, I've lived here most all of my life, We've had some really interesting characters in this valley. There was a guy named Lightning Amen. Does that name ring a bell with anybody? And he had a whole entourage that would walk I-5 barefoot, snow with something like a sheet on. They looked like they were shepherds in, in Israel. But they would walk along barefoot, Lightning Amen. But he had a following. There was communes all around this valley in different places, Tons of communes, and they were all following that person that led the commune. I'll tell you, in the end, it didn't work because they're, from my, as far as I know, they're, not, they're no longer around here. It doesn't work. But there is one master that a large people group have been following for thousands of years, and they're still following him today. Amen? Amen. And again, we're back to... If the world people in it, or they're not following Jesus, the, your coworkers, people you know, if they're not following Jesus, they're following something. I wrote here, he seeks to redeem the world as we co-labor with him. We say that in our declaration. That is why he teaches us to make disciples. Colossians 1.28 says, he is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may, be, we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That is my job as a shepherd. My heart is to present you to Jesus whenever that is fully mature. That's my heart. And that should be your heart too towards the people that you're involved in their lives with. You're helping them grow and mature in Christ. Look, look at the passion that Paul had. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 2. You've got to see this for a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 18 and 19. This is Paul's heart towards those who he discipled. He says, do you have any idea how very homesick we've become for you, dear friends? Oh, my goodness. Even though it hadn't been that long, and it was only our bodies that were separated from you, not our hearts. That's poetic. We tried our very best to get back to see you. You can't imagine how much we missed you. I, Paul, tried over and over and over to get back, but Satan thwarted us each time. Why do you think we were, 
who, excuse me, who do you think we're going to be proud of when our master Jesus appears if it's not you? You are our pride and you are our joy. It's incredible. That was Paul's heart towards disciples, his disciples. The mission of Jesus. We have seen that slogan, go ye and all the world. We've seen the slogan, go. We have seen... We have seen go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of, of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. How many have seen those signs and posters? They're over a lot of places. Gospel outreach, which my wife and I were part of one time. Go. It was a huge G, G and O, and it meant go. And it, it, it went right to this very heart, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. But there's scriptures around Matthew 28, and I want to go to those scriptures and, and build something for you and paint a picture that I hope you can see how important this mission of Jesus really is, okay? Are you ready? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Are you there? Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And if you want to highlight your Bible, go ahead. This is really, really good stuff. If you can get your head and your heart around it. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus had told them to go. We don't know what or where this mountain was. We just know that they had a meeting place pre-appointed, okay? At least I've never read or found a reference to exactly where that mountain was. Probably somewhere around Galilee, I don't know, but anyhow. He says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, you got to remember, Jesus had been crucified. Jesus had rose from the dead. And Jesus says, boys, there's a place pre-appointed. We don't really see reference to that other than it says right here, go to the mountain. They went to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. They went in faith. And here comes Jesus. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, here is where we focus on a lot of times just this, verse uh, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, period, most people stop there, and he says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So let's paint the picture, let's set this all up for a moment. Here we have, here we have Jesus, who had died for the sins of the world, he steps up from the dead, comes out of the grave as the Lord of the entire universe now. It's happened. He steps back on the scene, transfigured. I can't even get my head around all that happened at this moment, but here's Jesus stepping back on the scene. And he aims to give his disciples one last commission for what, he's, what they are supposed to be doing while he is gone. He gives them this assignment. And then we read he goes back to the Father in heaven until he comes again with flaming fire and judgment and salvation. Now, some people go, well, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's this fire and judgment stuff? Now, if we're, if we're preaching a user-friendly gospel, that may be why people are struggling around you. That if you grew up with a user-friendly gospel, that may be why when the winds of adversity blow, you're struggling. I just want to read this really quick. This is out of the NIV, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 5 through 10. This has to do with reference to flaming fire and judgment. Therefore, 
Among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. There's a lot of persecution and trials going on today, and there has been for eons. God is all this evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Yes, disciples, you will be suffering. Some will just suffer more. Some will barely feel it. But there's some right now in the world and other places that are suffering greatly because they place their faith in Christ. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to all and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. That moment's coming, folks. God's going to reappear. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are not my words. These are written right out of the, spoken right out of the word of God. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. On the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at, <clears throat> marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony too. So there's coming a day that judgment is coming to this earth. When will it come? I have no idea. But I want to be about Jesus' mission. I want to be sharing the gospel and trying to see as many people as I can, not just be converts, but be disciples and followers of Jesus who can rinse and repeat and do the same. So, let's paint more of the picture. It says here that the 11 disciples gathered. So Judas had died by his own hand. So we right now have 11 apostles who are left. Just for a moment, there will be more added later. But we see that Jesus meets them on the appointed mountain. I'm just doing a quick breakdown. And when they saw him, it's interesting, they worshiped him. And, and even though some had some doubts about what in the world was happening, they still all worshiped him. So it's into this really conflicted worship moment that Jesus delivers what we call the Great Commission, and great it was. There were some who doubted. There were some like, oh, what is going on here? But it was into this moment that Jesus delivers the Great Commission. And I don't want you guys to miss this moment. Please, if you hear anything today, listen to this. I don't want you to miss this over-the-top and incredibly wonderful and radical structure of verses 18 through 20, okay? Listen to this. And Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then Jesus says that just as he's about to command them to go into all the nations. What he's saying is, I don't want you just going into the politically stable nations. I don't want you just going to the easy places. I don't want you to go into the most comfortable places but I want you to go to all ethnic and all language groupings of all peoples around the world. That's what Jesus was calling them to do. And I, I imagine this moment, they're trying to get their head around, well, wait, I'm just a little guy. I'm just a fisherman from the sea of Galilee. I, I, whoa. But Jesus is saying, I want you going to the ends of the earth. Did they do it? Of course they did. If you read Revelation 5.9, you're going to see not only did they obey, but the fruit was unbelievable. Revelation 5.9 says, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they all fall to the ground before the lamb who was slain. That is Jesus. And we read here that they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain for all of humanity. I just put that in there. And with your blood, you purchased for God, persons from every tribe and every language and every people from every nation on the planet. So today, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, every neighbor, every coworker, everyone around us is who Jesus is speaking to. And listen, there are thousands of people that are still unengaged around the world. 
And we're to go to them. We're to go to everywhere in our sphere sphere of influence, sphere of influence. We're to go everywhere that God says go to. And we're to go there with the heart of, okay, Jesus, whew. And I think what he wants us to do, his main focus is to turn them into disciples. Disciples who are followers of Jesus. Disciples who are worshipers of Jesus. Disciples who obey Jesus. And I wrote here, this command go, it must have seemed at that moment, as he's talking to his early disciples, it must have seemed absolutely over the top, simply outrageous. It was then, and I'm telling you, it is still today. In our revivalistic, multicultural, all religions are equal age, I think it's even harder today. But think about this. Go and tell all the religions of the world that Jesus is the only way to God. We say amen, but that's a tough sell. Telling all the religions of the world that the way and what they're following is wrong, that Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the only one that can forgive sins against the Creator. Hey, people group, that Jesus is the only one that can provide righteousness before a holy judge. Hey, everyone, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. There is only one way, and it's through Jesus to get to the Father. Let me tell you, you go and tell them this, some places, that could get you killed. Right? In some places, it'll get you ridiculed, especially in our country. And, and they may label you as arrogant, intolerant, or dangerous. Or they may even shut your Facebook account down. I'm just saying. But remember, this is where we drill down and we're starting to hit the diamonds here. Remember before Jesus tells them to go and do this radically, politically incorrect, outrageous thing called love, he tells them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus. Jesus is saying, all authority in heaven and earth. Jesus isn't saying, I wouldn't send you to the nations if I didn't have all authority. I wouldn't send you to your neighbors or into hard situations if I didn't have all the power. I wouldn't send you over all the nations and every person in them if I did not have the authority. Wow, that's a game changer. Wow. Wow. So you're not crazy. When you feel God saying, go speak to that person in the cubicle next to you or go talk to your neighbor or, you know what, I'm calling you to Zimbabwe or wherever. You're not crazy. When Jesus says, you go and tell every person on the people, uh, every, every person on the planet, every people group, every tribe, every nation to repent and to believe for the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life, you're not crazy. Well, I mean, it sounds crazy, Jesus, because, you know, they may want to kill me. They may want to stop it. He has all authority. When you really ponder that for a moment... That's pretty mind-blowing. He's saying, you're not crazy. You are my ambassadors. You are the ambassadors of the king of all nations. You are ambassadors. You are sent ones of the king of king and the Lord of lord of the entire universe. And with that comes a warrant that you get to carry with you that gives you the power. It gives you the authority to stand on that ground. And it's a sacred place all of a sudden because you're carrying the kingdom of God with you. Fear not. Then he says in verse 19b, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I, I'm really frustrated when I just see a lot of people taken down to the river, thrown in the river, and then they leave. We don't know what happens to them. To me, I think that's very irresponsible. That's just that's me. Well, what's going on here is Jesus saying, when a person comes to faith, they are to be baptized. What does that mean? We need to make sure that they know what the baptism even means. It's not just a little thing you check off on your belt or something or a notch you carve off of something. That's not what it's about. 
we have, they have to understand that they have died with Jesus through their faith. It's really a model of the death and the resurrection of Jesus because as they go under the water, the old man and everything in it is washed away. And when they come up, they're new. And they should walk in the newness of the creation that they are. That's what baptism's really all about. And listen, what's cool about this to me is how much the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in it because the Father planned the way of salvation, right? And then the Son carried out and accomplished that on the cross. And then the Holy Spirit comes and He's moving in their lives, giving them the power and the ability to accomplish the mission of Jesus. The two claps is good, that's good. And in verse 20, A, this whole make disciples, the, these new disciples, you got to understand something's happening here. There are disciples being created, and, and it's like when these new disciples of Jesus gather into these new places that we're supposed to go out and, and, and bring them into the house of God, whether it's, whether it's a church, whether it's a home group, whether it's, it's coffee around a table, wherever that may be. He says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that's where you begin to preach the principles and the kingdom and the concepts of God. And then Jesus ends with one of the most amazing promises, and we'll wrap it up with this. One of the most amazing promises in all of God's word. And we miss this. And that is, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, let's restack. Let's restack this for a moment. Let's just pick some of the highlights of verses 18 through 20. All authority, in verse 18, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to who? To Jesus. He holds the keys. He holds the warrants. He holds everything. And then in verse 20, the last part, B, behold, I am, always, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, all authority is mine. That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, you need to understand, before I send you, understand this, that all authority has been given to me. And this, my friends, gives you our warrant for such an outrageous mission that Jesus wants to send each and every one of us on, and that's go and make disciples. We have a warrant. We have a badge. We have the authority. All authority, Jesus is saying, is mine. It's mine. He says, I will be with you. This should give us the hope that you and I can do this. If Jesus promises I'll be with you when you walk up to that stranger, you walk up to that person on the street, God gives you a word of knowledge, something comes to you, and you feel like, you stand up, Gary. I love this guy. And I'm walking down the street, and I see this guy, and God speaks something to my heart and says, go share with that guy and tell him how much I love him. Well, you know, Jesus, I, you know, Holy Spirit, I, you know, I, all authority. You know why? Because Jesus owns this man. Jesus owns every person on the planet because he paid the price to redeem them. He owns them all. He owns all the people groups, all the ethnic groups, all the peoples of the entire planet. He owns them. He had, now, the, he has free will, yes, but he owns us. So I need to step into this like I have a warrant. I want to just share with you how much God loves you. There's a lot of ways you can do that without being offensive. How many know that experience? Yeah. Is this making sense, guys? Jesus is saying, I'm going to reiterate this just for a moment. Jesus is saying, I have total authority in this world, and I won't leave you. I have total rights over all the peoples. Everybody you ever will talk to, I have the right of ownership and the redemption of their souls. Jesus paid the price for all of humanity, right? Think about that for a moment. And no matter how they respond to you or what they try or do to you, I will be with you. I who loved you, I who gave myself for you, I who chose you for myself and called you and sent you, I will always be with you. This is a promise that was set aside to help us say yes, that I will always be with you. That really should make it easier for us to say yes to God. Whenever He calls, 
or wherever he calls you to, you're never going to be alone. Never, 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 never. In your darkest moment, you are not alone, my friend. He says, I will be with you always, not just to the end, but always and to the end. Jesus is with us. Let's stand. Someone stole the clock, and I have no idea what time it is, so I hope it's not 3 o'clock or something, so. Thank you. Thank you. Lewis, could you come up and yeah, just loop something and I, I think one of the biggest smoke screens that the enemy throws at us is fear. Fear. Fear can choke you. Fear can stop you in your tracks. But Jesus says, wait, all authority. The bad situation in front of you, the people involved in it, by the way, I own those people. I paid a price for their lives. They don't know it yet. So I, I just want to invite you forward for prayer if you'd like. Just, And I'm not trying to twist anybody's arms, but I know some of you struggle with that yes to God, and it has to do with fear. What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if I get rejected? What if I... I just want to see you move into His presence because when we are in His presence, there is freedom. 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 So if that's you, if you'd like to be set free from fear... I would just like you to come forward and we want to pray for you. Amen? So let's just bow our heads for a moment and let's just talk to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe, maybe the reason discipling is hard for you is because you haven't been a really good disciple yourself. You go to throw yourself on the altar, sacrifice, and then you want to crawl back off of it. You got to be willing to throw it all in once and for all. Jesus wants all of you, not just an elbow or an ear or an eye. He wants all of you. Holy Spirit, we just say, come. We know you're here. We know you're here, but we invite you into a deeper place into our hearts. Father, that place where it's just almost secret between you and us, we invite you there, God. And just come and walk through that place in our heart and just help us with those issues that we struggle with, God. Father, we want to be about your mission. We want to be filled with compassion and faith and towards others and not fear of being yelled at or fear of maybe it wouldn't work if I said something or I'd blow it up or whatever, God. Give us the courage to do just that. Thank you, Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit, come. And I don't know if everyone in this room knows Jesus 
like they want to. Maybe you want to have a deeper relationship with him. Maybe you don't even really know Jesus at all. I'm not calling you into that at this moment. I'm just saying check your heart and ask God to take you to a healthy place. Thank you, Jesus, because there is coming a day. And I don't, I don't like to preach the doom and gloom because I believe in a victorious eschatology, but there is a day of judgment coming. And if you're in the right place, with the right heart, loving Jesus, you're going to hear, well done. But if you're walking in places you know you shouldn't be or entertaining some of that stuff, this would be a good time to stop it. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. So, Father, we just give you this day. And, Father, I just pray that when we sit down with you and we begin to look at your word and go through your word and just take it in, we have that moment with you, that you would speak to the depths of our heart and help us take our, our, our ability to disciple others to a whole other level, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Father, I just pray that we could figure out and learn how to make you famous in so many places and in so many ways. Thank you, Jesus. Father, this week as we come around the Thanksgiving table, I just pray that we truly have thankful hearts. Thankful and grateful for what you've done in our past, what you're doing in the present, and what you're going to do in the future. Thank you, God. And we just thank you now. In Jesus' name, and we all say, Amen. Amen. If you would mind helping.